Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gimme the Creeps, a podcast where Daniela and I discussed, discussed, (laughs) (laughs) where Daniela and I discuss weird and dark subject matter. Hi. Hello. So today, I think this case will pull at your heartstrings when it comes to the criminal, but we shall see. Oh, shit. Let's talk about him a little bit. So... I'm not sure if anyone will recognize his name right off the bat, but Johnny Lewis was born in Los Angeles, California, and being so close to the hopes and promises of Hollywood, he began acting really early at the age of five, performing at his performing arts school. He was quite talented in his craft and began appearing in TV and film projects, so on a smaller scale, but he was on the up and up. His quirky attitude and appearance definitely had a hand in this, I bet, combined with his acting skills. He was an artist in general, though, writing poetry, painting, and writing. Something so amazing about this guy was his philanthropy. How is he able to do this, you ask, while taking on not-so-high-paying roles? Well, I didn't mention who his parents are yet, but the bottom line is he was living comfortably enough because of this background. And I bet a lot of you guys would recognize him if you saw a picture. You might not have any idea who he is, but you might recognize him. So let me just paint a picture for you real quick to introduce him to you guys. His well-known work includes roles as Scotty and Drake and Josh, Lenny Beaver in American Dreams, Dennis Childress or Chili in The O.C., among other somewhat smaller roles or one-time TV roles. But I have a feeling everyone will picture him with these that I'm about to mention. Half Sack or Kip Epps in Sons of Anarchy. Or my personal favorite, Engelbert Wilson, a.k.a. Kiwi, a.k.a. the guy who plays electronic music in the movie Raise Your Voice and screams she doesn't even know into the mic for his crush played by Kat Dennings from Two Broke Girls. Oh my god, that's what made the light bulb go off in my head. I saved it for last because I had a feeling... Yes. I liked that guy, Kiwi. Yeah. Well, just hold on to your tears, folks, because uh, it's a lot. So, so much to say there to describe this guy, but um, a combination of mental health oversight and accidents came to a devastating climax in September of 2012. So let's go ahead and discuss the tragic and disturbing case of Johnny Lewis. Everybody's like, whatever happened to that guy, you know? It's one of those cases. So Jonathan Kendrick Lewis was born on October 29th, 1983. He was known by most people as Johnny and grew up in a Jewish-oriented household in North Hollywood and Sherman Oaks. His parents are writer Michael Lewis and art photographer Devona Lewis and was their middle child having an older sister and younger brother. And get this, they were Scientologists. And Johnny remained one for most of his life up until his 20s, early or mid-20s, I forget. Um, And his parents apparently attained the highest level available within the religion known as the Operating Theden or OT8. In OT8 offers knowing and willing cause over life, thought, matter, energy, space, and time. Sounds like this level of wisdom is pretty powerful. This is interesting because people mainly see Scientology as like a cult-like religion for the rich, and there are still famous people involved in this religion today. For instance, our favorite handmaid, Elizabeth Moss. Oh, 
Um, which that's pretty interesting. A lot of people ask her, like, how are you able to be on this kind of a show if you're in Scientology? <laughs> but that's, anyway. yeah, I didn't know that she was Scientologist. That's weird. Weird. I know it's weird. Um, so Johnny began actively pursuing acting um, when his mother took him to auditions at the age of six and at age seven he was in an escalator safety video that featured an animated rapping raccoon and before he knew it he went from commercials to tv shows like seventh heaven malcolm in the middle and drake and josh when he finished school he moved out of his parents home and into what young hollywood referred to as the wilton hilton Somewhat comparable to today's Team Tin House, Hype House, etc. Just a place for young, hopeful celebrities to bunk together. One of Lewis's best friends, director Doug Usher, lived there with him at the time, as well as Adam Brody, Brett Harrison, and Ashley Simpson. This was probably before she did that leprechaun dance on SNL after her <laughs> lip-syncing scandal. And yes, before you ask, I just wanted to bring that up. Not only is he meeting other young famous people, but he even dates one. And in the mid-2000s, Johnny starts dating Katy Perry, which is interesting considering her family's religious background. I don't, I can't see it. Right? Isn't that so bizarre? Um, Yeah. Pretty intense convos, I bet. Johnny was described as very friendly and more on the creative side when it came to what he enjoyed doing. He wrote screenplays for fun and stuff like that, not really into partying. And in this kind of environment where you have anything available to you, I have to admire that about him. Pentecostal Christians are what uh, Katy Perry's parents were, by the way. Oh, And then he has a Scientologist Jewish background, so that's interesting. It was a short-lived romance, though, but it seemed to be pretty special, possibly even inspiring some of Katie's music. It was rumored that her song Circle the Drain might have been about him. Oh. I haven't heard it, so I would not know. So he seems pretty mature for his age, and as he gets older, he just keeps working and soon gets more serious roles on The O.C., a movie called Palo Alto, and then eventually his big role in Sons of Anarchy. I actually think Palo Alto was a play that he was in. But anyway, then he was on Sons of Anarchy, which was, as a lot of us know, a successful show. I haven't seen any of it, but a lot of people I know really love it. He took everything on with open arms and got along with all groups meshing well wherever he went. He didn't seem to complain until his role on SOA. It was so successful, but the violence written in the show became gratuitous, and he had asked to be written out of the show so he could end the contract. He played a vet nicknamed Halfsack who gets stabbed to death trying to save a baby. So that's how he was written out of the show. Mm-hmm. He was a favorite character in the show, but it was he was more interested in finishing his first novel that he had started writing about a young musical genius making his way in San Francisco. He had begun dating actress and co-star from SOA, Diane Gaeta, and her name is spelled like Gaeta. <laughs> And in the summer of 2009, they found out that they were pregnant. And on April 6th, 2010, their daughter, Kula May, was born. He was so excited. And although it wasn't working out between them as a couple, they decided to try living together to raise her. It didn't work out and Lewis moved out. There was a long and brutal custody, custody battle. But in the end, Diane won custody, which probably broke his heart. It was all downhill from here. In October of 2011... Lewis lost control of his Triumph motorcycle near 29 Palms, a city in San Bernardino County. 
He was checked for a concussion at the hospital, but he was allowed to leave after tests came back negative. At this point, people in his life began to notice a change in his habits and his behaviors. His dad apparently felt something was off right away and at some point scheduled two MRIs, which Johnny refused to have done. So during an acting class in December, Johnny used a slight British accent when he spoke and his friends thought it was weird and asked him about it, but Johnny shrugged it off and they thought it was just something he was doing just, I guess, to help his acting maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. By January 3rd, 2012, he got worse without warning. On that morning, he was relaxing in the Northridge condo he bought for his parents while his mom cooked omelets. Still in his pajama pants, he announces he's going for a walk. As he was passing a neighboring unit, he thought he heard cries of distress and broke in, finding nothing. It was empty. But soon two men arrived asking him to leave. They were attacked by a belligerent Lewis as he struck them on the head with an empty Perrier bottle. They struggled out on the patio, but Lewis, biting one of them in the arm, struggled to get away. He was eventually overpowered and detained until the police arrived. Johnny Lewis claimed he was acting in self-defense, but was charged with trash pissing. What the fuck? (laughs) God. (laughs) charged with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon. He was taken to the Twin Towers jail for three days until he was held in a psychiatric facility as a 5150, code for involuntary confinement. He remained there for 72 hours and was bailed out by his dad. His discharge summary read, Chief Complaint, Blunt Head Trauma, Suicidal. Considering his history up until his accident, he had never had violent tendencies tendencies, and especially aggression that seemingly came from nowhere. Was he changed somehow? Was he hallucinating to cause these protective and angry rages? Nobody knew. He had even quit a successful TV show because of the violence in it. One thing was certain, his father was worried sick and did whatever he could to keep him in a calm environment away from anything that could possibly trigger another incident. Unfortunately, without proper care, they would find out this wasn't enough. In the days following his eight-day stay behind bars, he was like a wounded animal, said his older sister. He became so sensitive to the light that he shut off the fuse box after getting tired of having to turn off all the lights over and over again in the house. What the fuck? Yeah, I would really force him to go to the hospital. I don't know Mm -hmm. if this is where he's – because you know how Scientology is, like, kind of against, like, therapy and, like, getting help for this kind of stuff? Uh But his father is, like, pretty up up there with the Scientologists. And then again, like I mentioned, he left Scientology in his 20s. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But he was just refusing the help and um, getting worse and worse. So he's shut off from the world, essentially, in his house for a little bit. And later, he had tried to commit suicide in the following weeks, slicing his wrists his father had faith he might do better living on his own in Santa Monica when he what? stabilized. Yeah, he like stabilized in January. So his father thought it was a good idea to like get him his own place and see if he'll do better without anybody around, I guess. He was getting better, but then by February, he immediately was getting into trouble again. He had to get bailed out after knocking a stranger out outside of a yogurt shop for apparently no reason. And following this incident, he walked into the ocean fully clothed and was hospitalized with hypothermia. What the fuck? Pretty intense. Um, On February 18th of 2012, 
He was arrested for trying to break into a woman's apartment in Santa Monica, claiming he thought it was a friend's house. He was released on bail once again, and by May of 2012, friends say he was unrecognizable. He seemed disturbed, and he would blur between lucid conversations and incoherence. By this point, doctors had prescribed Lewis Zyprexa and Ambilify used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. However, he had yet to receive a clear diagnosis. Oh my goodness. So there were they were just like, maybe this will help him, maybe this will help mm-hmm. him. But he wasn't really like getting any kind of treatment. He wasn't seeing a doctor on the regular. It was just kind of like, maybe this will help, maybe it won't. But mm-hmm. regardless, he wasn't taking the medication. Oh, um, shit. And you'll yeah, you'll see how how we find that out later on. But um it's believed that he was cheeking them, and so he just wouldn't swallow it, and he just wasn't flat out taking anything at all for his illnesses. So we have no idea if that would have helped him or not, like if that was a lucky guess. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so here's where we discuss where his new place that he's going to live um, is. Um, I used lamag.com for this. This was an excellent article in 2014. Um, about this whole situation that went down from beginning to end. So I used pieces of this, but I'm just going to read straight from it because it's well-written. The house at 36... What is it? What? Hello? What? You going to say something? Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Oh, no. I closed the top to my chapstick. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. The chapstick's got something to say. (laughs) So the house at 3605 Lowry Road was luxurious yet homey with exposed wood, beams, and rustic antique furniture. Satillo tile floors matched the walls, which were painted a warm red, yellow, and cream. The centerpiece of the house was a staircase inlaid with ceramic tiles leading to one of five guest rooms, some with majestic views of the San Gabriel Mountains. Catherine Davis, known by most of her tenants as Miss Kathy, was a Texan who moved to California in 1950. She attended UCLA and worked in various publishing jobs before marrying James H. Davis. After she gave birth to a baby, um, a girl, in 1958, Davis and her husband purchased the Grant House in Los Feliz. By the 1980s, she was divorced and her daughter, the writer Margaret Leslie Davis, was grown up. So Miss Kathy began a successful career as a real estate agent, using her spacious empty nest as a temporary base camp for her well-heeled clients as they house hunted. Over time, her home evolved into one of those idyllic, distinctly L.A. arrangements, an extended bed and breakfast for up-and-coming performers, directors, and of course, writers. It was Davis, a lively woman with short gray hair and sparkling wit, who clinched the deal. Val Kilmer, Parker Posey, uh, Paula Poundstone, and Chris Parnell all lived at the villa when they were on the rise, enjoying the company of the well of the good-natured landlady. Kathy was very friendly, Poundstone recalls. One day, I was waiting for a cab to the Burbank airport, which didn't come. Davis tried to calm the calm down the young comic and wrote her driving directions, but seeing the leniency in my eyes and hearing me begin to stammer, she kindly offered to drive me herself, which I graciously accepted. If a pitch or audition went poorly, Miss Kathy would be there with open arms and homemade tamales. Her house was also an emotional refuge. Thomas Jane, the star of HBO's Hung, moved into the villa after a tough breakup with a live-in girlfriend in 2001. I needed a quiet place to stay, he says. I met Kathy and fell in love with her place immediately. The dark wood and heavy furniture relaxed me. It was the perfect place to lick my wounds. 
Through word of mouth, Davis's reputation in the upscale Hollywood community grew. When someone moved on, they would tell the next crop of promising talent about the villa. The rent was steep, between $1,650 and $3,000 a month for one bedroom with a sitting area. Yeah, bitch, this is L.A., come on. There was uh, common areas, including a living room, a large flagstone patio, and and manicured grounds, as well as a shared kitchen. It was filled with successful people who were very ambitious, says comedian and character actor Taylor Negron, a former tenant. Everybody worked their ass off to get there, and they had to keep working their ass off. So that's um, a little ba- background on her place. And so mm-hmm. she had rioters coming in and out of there. And Lewis had stayed there before. Before his accident, when he was starting out, he remembers feeling very peaceful there. He could sit down and work and focus. Nobody really partying or anything like that. No distractions. Okay. <clears throat> so ugh. I'll just read it straight from LA Mag again. So. This article starts out with what happened and then goes into the background, but I'm just going to use the part where everything's detailed what happened. Um, So as I mentioned, doctors prescribed Lewis Zyprexa and Ambilify. Um, Was he bipolar, psychotic, or as his father believes, suffering from traumatic brain injury? We got the motorcycle head injury. Then he's beaten in the head 17 times during the Northridge break-in with those two guys when he was fighting them with the bottle. And then when he's in jail, he is pounding his own head against the concrete and attempting to leap from the second story pier. Then you have the doctor's own diagnosis of brain trauma. And that's just the stuff we know about. So brain trauma was diagnosed at the point in time when he was first um, taken into the facility. But after that, they didn't really keep up with it. So it's just getting worse. Head trauma can trigger behavioral changes, says Chris. Christopher Giza, MD, a pediatric neurologist and neuroscientist at the UCLA Brain Injury Research Center. Some areas of the brain are particularly prone to traumatic brain injury. If you have an injury in the frontal lobes, you can have significant changes in behavior, irritability, impulse control problems, and at the extreme end, violent outbursts. But Lewis was neither diagnosed with nor treated for severe head trauma, and the symptoms his father describes after the October 2011 motorcycle accident, headaches, sensitivity to light, are indicative of a mild injury, such as a concussion, says Giza, which, would tri- which wouldn't trigger aggressive behavior. Lewis's lawyer was working to persuade the courts to allow Lewis to swap jail time for a stay in a treatment center. While incarcerated, however, Lewis didn't appear to have a substance abuse problem. I did a lot of drug seeking in that place, says Tim Woodhead, a 26-year-old former inmate who became friends with Lewis in Twin Towers. There were a lot of opportunities that he turned down multiple times. So even um, another inmate discusses a point in time when they were offered drugs or drugs was available to them and he he just doesn't take them, whether it's for pleasure or actual needing yeah even if he actually needs them he just doesn't do it no idea uh why um so on may 23rd 2012 after two months in lockup lewis was trans- transported to ridgeview ranch in the foothills of altadena with an activities list that includes equine therapy i'm pretty sure that's horse riding um uh, yoga meditation and art therapy Ridgeview calls calls itself a dual diagnosis facility treating residents for psychosis and substance abuse. His family believed his staying there was better than being in jail. I'd say. Yeah. 
<laughs> Lewis revealed as much as an email sent to Tucker and other friends who shared it with Lewis's father on June 12, 2012. The core of the story is that I was involved in a fight. My actions were self-defense, but my means were a glass bottle. After a few court dates, a stint in county jail, and the realization that there was no self-defense law in California, I am back on my feet and doing well. The court case is still ongoing, but from what we're hearing, it has very good chance of getting dropped outright or disappearing with time served. At the end was a postscript that read, on a side note, we are pleading rehab to avoid trial. And then in parentheses, he wrote, addicted to marijuana. What a trip. Oh, my God. So that's what um, his lawyers were were going for. It's like, okay, we can't say he's addicted to anything else because they'll obviously notice. But if we say marijuana, maybe they'll let him stay at that nice ranch or whatever. Yeah. But I mean psychosis in itself would have landed him there i'm assuming yeah or at least we would assume right um hmm. so at ridgeview lewis claims of being addicted to marijuana didn't fly with the trained counselors and fellow addicts says michael his father so he switched and pretended to be addicted to alcohol that demon rum man it possessed me at that point he said they started to believe him so he had to put on an act in order to stay there and like chill Despite the questionable diagnosis and treatment for a disease he didn't believe he had, Lewis's mental state began to improve after a few months. In one of his final journal entries from July 2012, Lewis wrote, Felt more whole today, more complete, like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world and now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever now. I'll face what I am. I'll face what I was. What he was facing was serious time for the Northridge bottle assault. His lawyer sought a deal. Lewis would spend an entire year at Ridgeway in lieu of jail, but Lewis was so confident his case would be dropped because it was self-defense. He fired his lawyer, defiantly acting as his own attorney, which Judge Cynthia Ulfig allowed. Lewis figured that he would spend a few days in jail, then resume normal life. No more curfews and mandatory group sessions at Ridgeview. He would be free. Instead, he was sentenced to a year in jail and hauled back to Twin Towers. But because of the county's overcrowded jails, Lewis's sentence was drastically reduced. He spent a total of six weeks in jail before being released on September 21st. The night he got out, he checked into the Los Feliz Hotel in Atwater Village. The following Sunday, his father helped him shop for new clothes before driving him to the valley to pick up his triumph. Lewis asked his father to come to contact the writer's villa to see if there was a space available since his son wasn't agreeable to returning to ridgeview michael believed the quiet and peaceful surroundings of the villa would be the next best thing it didn't occur to me to say oh by the way he was having problems michael says i thought this was a place he could be familiar with that they would give him a lot of love kathy davis made sure his old room would be ready and waiting for him Uh, On Monday, Lewis moved into his room on the second floor of the villa. Michael called the following day to check in on his son. Johnny answered agitatedly, I'm busy. What do you want? He eventually calmed down and told his father they would talk later. Mm -hmm. It was the last time Michael Lewis spoke to his son. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next morning, the events are all over the place because um, he was not really surrounded by people or witnesses. So I'm going to read from this article um, in the Los Angeles magazine. So it goes, hi, I'm John, your new neighbor. 
If Dan Blackburn wasn't completely stunned to see the bedraggled young man with intense blue eyes introducing himself at his doorstep, it was only because of the it was only because the former NBC newsman had just spent a good 15 minutes tracking his movements from his living room window. Wearing nothing but jeans and red shoes, Blackburn's visitor had been pacing up and down the pavement of his leafy corner of the Los Feliz Hills. He was slight and wiry with shaggy blonde hair. His bare torso was slick with sweat. There were other intrusions on the neighborhood's usual quiet on that late morning of September 26, 2012. A house painter was working on the first floor deck of Blackburn's home. The deck overlooked a 1927 Spanish-style mansion known as the Writer's Villa where an elderly real estate broker and arts patron named Kathy Davis had opened her doors to generations of playwrights, screenwriters, novelists, and actors while they developed their talents and adjusted to Hollywood life. Nice to meet you, John, Blackburn replied with a raised eyebrow. The two men stood across from each other in Blackburn's doorway before John, who Blackburn would later learn was Johnny Lewis, abruptly walked away and Blackburn returned to his morning routine. At 28, Lewis wasn't so much a new neighbor as a returning one. For two months in 2009, he had lived in the red suite of the writer's villa. Now, three years later, he had just moved back to the villa after being released from downtown's Twin Towers Correctional Facility following a string of senseless violent assaults. His father had arranged the accommodations, hoping that the villa's calming influence would help steady his son after months of chaos. About 30 minutes after meeting Lewis at the door, Blackburn heard his wife, Gloria, anxiously calling for him. He rushed outside to find Lewis on top of the house painter, pummeling him with his fists. The worker's face was covered in blood. Specks of it were landing on the actor's body. Blackburn stepped in to pull the 5-foot, 10-inch Lewis off the painter, grabbing him by the shoulder and yelling at him to stop. In one motion, Lewis leapt to his feet and slugged Blackburn, who is in his 70s, in the eye, knocking him to the ground. Lewis's expression was flat, his gaze distant, but he seemed to have superhuman strength. Mm -hmm. He didn't flinch as Blackburn stood up and landed a punch to his temple. Blackburn then struck him with a chair, which stunned him enough that Blackburn, his wife, and the painter were able to escape into the house. They tried to shut the front door, but Lewis stuck his arm through the opening as if it were a scene from a horror movie. The three pushed their full weight on the door, slamming it four times until the arm finally slithered away. The group barricaded themselves inside and called the police. From a window, Blackburn saw Lewis leap over the waist-high fence around the deck and pounce on the wooden fence surrounding the writer's villa next door. His feet never seemed to touch the ground. He scaled the fence and disappeared into the villa. What? He was like a low-key Spider-Man, says Blackburn. That's scary. Within minutes. Isn't it, dude? It's like a freaking non-human human being. It reminds it me, me of... Split. Oh yeah, with the strength that just yeah, like, at the end, comes out he, of like, nowhere. Turns into that beast. Ooh yes. yeah, that's what I. That's a good I'm picturing now. Way to go. Whoa, his appearance reminds me. It could almost be the same actor, but um, at the beginning of the Sixth Sense, where that guy is in their bathroom. Yes, I know exactly. What God, you're mm-hmm. that would terrify me so much if there was some because you don't know what they're thinking, mm-hmm. you don't know what they're gonna do. You just start kind of like, all right, let's calm down. Uh, yeah, there's okay. no way. Whew, de-escalate that. Yeah. Um, so he's out there. He's jumping around. Like, he jumps the fences. Like, he seems superhuman. These people are elderly. The house painter is probably the youngest of the group, and he's, you know, beaten to a pulp, essentially. Mm. So they make it inside, and he's out there scaling the fences to get back to his villa. And this is when it all, like, you people just are shocked at this sight. But... 
Um, within minutes, the police arrived to find a ghastly sight. Davis, the 81-year-old owner of the villa, was inside her home, beaten and strangled to death. Lewis, her tenant and attacker, was also dead in the middle of the driveway, his skull cracked in half. It didn't take long for that morning's events to reach the tabloids. Actor Johnny Lewis had killed his landlady, Kathy Davis, then fallen or jumped to his death. More than a year later, the reasons remain elusive. How could Lewis commit such a monstrous crime? The immediate assumption was that he was on drugs. So the headlines, like TMZ and shit, whenever they found out he had jumped and killed people and stuff, they were like, he's on bath salts. Because this was that point in time Mm -hmm. when that man was found eating that other man's face in the middle of the street in broad daylight. Because of bath salts. And I remember hearing about that because that was terrifying. So yeah, the bath salt, and I'm pretty sure that some kid murdered like this married couple in their garage, like very violently, and he was on bath salts. Like a lot of shit was popping oh, off no, of yeah. these bath salts. Yeah. So when um, when people heard about this, that's immediately what everyone thought. Um, but they would be surprised to find out that his toxicology report was completely clean, nothing in him at what? all, at all, at all. So if it's brain trauma. Mm, some kind of trauma going and on. And he in wasn't there. Um, taking his medication. He wasn't. Mm-mm. They would have so seen. So then they would have it seen had the, to have been dosage. some sort of psychosis. Yeah, something came loose. I mean, it just and it continued to get worse. And of course, they mentioned how many times he had been beaten the head since that point, like since the actual yeah. accident. So, um, and all of his like suicide attempts. But like, I don't know what he's thinking. Like, I don't think anybody knew what he was thinking exactly. Like, does he want to die? Like, is he in pain? Um, what's going on? Mm-hmm. So it all came to a head and no one ever really knew like what happened. Um, so <clears throat> going back to that that morning, that horrible morning, what they found, um, horrendous. That is uh, so fucking sad. I'm not even, just wait, oh, just wait. Yeah, it is. It's very sad. Very, very sad. And Kathy Davis was a beloved member of the community. Um, her little neighborhood and her community, yes. She was well known for providing this kind of space for these people. So here we go. <clears throat> As the police pulled up to the writer's villa, they spotted Johnny Lewis in the middle of the driveway, lying face up and lifeless. Looking at the villa, they saw a patio and a roof, which rose about 15 feet above the ground. They noted that Lewis's left eye socket was caved in. His skull was smashed just to the left of the center. He had plunged from either the second floor or the roof and died instantly. Inside, the scene was even more gruesome. Walking upstairs from the first floor, which was pristine, investigators had to step over broken glass before entering a large bedroom in the southwest corner, Lewis's room. There they found a rusty hammer with traces of blood on it. Following the trail of destruction to the attached bathroom, they discovered the body of a dead cat in the shower covered in blood, its skull bashed in. No! (laughs) It was Kathy's beloved cat, and she's photographed so often with this cat, so it just breaks my heart. What the Mm. fuck, dude? Yeah, and... Yeah, I I'm always like, why? Like, why do you why do you got to do Dude, that? Dude, that you know? just changed everything. I don't feel sorry for I him know. anymore. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's like just put him in the closet or something. Like, they, why do they got to be involved in this? Yeah, but just leave uh, the fucking it, who knows? You know, 
maybe he thought it was a demon. Like we have no idea. That's what makes this so hard. In like, in my opinion, is like if if he has no idea what's going on, this sucks. But if he's purposely like just taking life, it's like awful. But mm-hmm. so her cat um, did not escape this. But um, across the hall from Lewis's room was the master bedroom, Kathy Davis's room. There was blood on her bed frame, wall, table, and chair. On the floor next to the bed lay her body. The blunt force trauma to her head fractured her entire skull and obliterated the left side of her face, leaving her brain exposed. (gasps) Wrote, um, yeah, he went, he just, uh, wrote coroner's office medical examiner Kelly Blanchard in her report. Brain and tissue matter seen on the floor around her. Her face is covered in blood. Her nose is split down the middle and her upper jaw is split open. What? He ravaged like... Ugh. There were also four small puncture wounds on her left cheek, presumably presumably from a mechanical pencil found beside her body. The official report released two months later revealed that Davis had been killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Investigators believe that just minutes after he had introduced himself to Blackburn, Lewis went back to the villa and confronted Davis in her room. No one knows what fueled his rage, but one rumor floated among Davis's friends that he had gone to the fuse box and turned off the electricity the night before the attack. Davis had confronted him and given him a stern warning to never do that again. Whatever the reason, if there was none or if there was one, the results were unthinkable. Lewis had punched Davis several times, then strangled her with his bare hands. It was unclear whether he'd used the hammer found in his room on Davis, but the force of his beatings were so severe that the investigators believe Lewis may have stomped on Davis's skull. Oh my God. He then killed her cat and left it in the shower. Just come on. Like this poor old woman. And to think that he did that much to her precious like little... I can't think of ever hurting anybody, but especially an old woman like that. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, moments later, investigators believe Lewis went outside and attacked the house painter and Blackburn before. So they're saying that he killed um, Davis before all of this happened, but he didn't have any blood on him whenever he went to meet the neighbor or else the neighbor would have noticed that right away. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I'm I'm confused. What had happened was he killed Davis, then... No, he met, he met the neighbor, he met the neighbor, neighbor, went back, killed Davis, and then came back and assaulted the um, house painter. And then that's when it all, because then the police arrived not too long after, but by that point he had fallen off the house or whatever. Investigators believe that just minutes after he had introduced himself to Blackburn, Lewis went back to the villa and confronted Davis in her room. No one knows what fueled his rage, yada, yada. Um... Moments later, investigators believe Lewis went outside and attacked the house painter and Blackburn before his Spider-Man climb into the villa. He then ascended to either the upper patio or the roof. It's unclear whether he jumped or slipped. His death was officially ruled an accident, not a suicide. What? So he just slipped and fell. He slipped. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's what they... Who knows what he was trying to do, but the... It seems that he did slip. Okay. As the news broke, a theory quickly emerged on the internet. Lewis had been on bath salts, an illegally manufactured designer drug often containing an amphetamine-like chemical called methylene dioxypyrovalerone, or MDPV. Hmm. The use of bath salts had made headlines in the spring, 
the snortable. Oh, there you go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Instructions unclear. Instructions. <laughs> I kind of want to see if I still have it. Mm. Oh, great. <laughs> Snort the dust that's left in there. It's absolutely just to feel not. alive. No, thank you. <laughs> Just a relic uh, from my past. You, you sounded just like Moira from Schitt's Creek. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Okay. Um, the snortable and injectable powder was reportedly the catalyst for a handful of grisly attacks around the country, including one by the notorious 31-year-old Florida cannibal who was shot by police while biting and devouring the face of another man in the middle of a busy street. The New York Daily News also threw out the possibility of another designer drug called Smiles, never heard of it, a psychedelic phenylthylamine ingested as a pill, powder, or mixed with chocolate. What the fuck? Smiles? I've never heard of that either. <laughs> That had been linked to a series of suicides and overdoses, but Lewis's toxicology report, which came back two months after the incident, indicated that there were no drugs or alcohol in his system, no bath salts, meth, or cocaine, or even his prescribed antipsychotic medication. It's crazy. The toxicology report was a disappointment. If it wasn't drugs, what drove Johnny Lewis to murder? Critics of Scientology have pointed out the church's resistance to psychiatry as a possible reason why Lewis's behavior issues um, may not have been may have been untreated. Lewis's father discounts that assumption, claiming that he pursued and encouraged psychiatric treatment for his son. It was Johnny who refused to comply. Those who were once close to Lewis expressed their grief. Um, U.S. Weekly reported that Katy Perry was devastated and that her best friend, actress Shannon Woodward, tweeted, Johnny Lewis, I love you deeply and madly and always. My heart is broken in a million little pieces. She then added, Johnny Lewis was one of my best friends. He was very, very ill. His actions were a despicable result of that. It was not who he was. Um, And so, yeah, it just goes on and on. I don't remember her giving that quote either. I don't even know who she is. Shannon Woodward. Oh, I thought you were still talking about Katy Perry. No, Katy Perry just, she only gave him one line that she, she was devastated. Oh. Um, <laughs> but um, but one that did stand out to me was his former boss, Kurt Sutter, um, from, I think he was from Sons of Anarchy. He said, Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy creator Kurt Sutter tweeted about his death. It was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately lost had lost his way. I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events last night, but I am not. Oh, wow. But I was not. I am deeply sorry that an innocent life had to be thrown into the, his destructive path. Yes, it's a day of mourning, but it's also a day of awareness and gratitude. Sadly, some of us carry the message by dying. Damn. Wow. I mean, true, but dang. Um, but yeah, so, so that is the tragic and disturbing tale of Johnny Lewis, AKA Kiwi forever in my heart. Um, and the writer villas of course are forever tainted by the events that happened there. And Kathy Davis is deeply missed. Her daughter now, um, owns that building and I don't think she's renting it out anymore. I'm not sure. I forgot what I read. 
see, Writer's Villa. Francis, come on. Oh, no, it's, uh, yeah, permanently closed. Very sad. Um, so I guess 2012 was the last time it was fully operational. And man, I wonder if the ghost of the cat is still there. Oh, my God. Running around. Very sad stuff. Um, I I had heard of what happened to this guy a while back, and I was just waiting for... Um, I was just waiting for some time to cover it or whatever, mm-hmm. but it still is like, it's just so depressing to think about. Like, yeah, I definitely agree. Let's think. I didn't write an outro, so how are we going to not be sad about this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a clip of that scene. I found it. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to cry because it's going to make me sad. I know. Anyway, he apparent his character created that little beat. Oh. I liked that he was attracted to Kat Denning's character because she was like very like not goth, but just like focused and yes. to herself and she was a darker character, not very bubbly. I, uh, I loved her. Um me too. And the girl who played the violin, she was cool too. <clears throat> I like that movie. That movie's cringy and everything, but raise your voice forever in my heart. Come on. The fucking where she, they have her Three days great. scales. God damn it. It makes me laugh. Oh <laughs> my God. It's so bad. Did you know that they had her sister sing some of the songs for her or sing some of the parts? Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. I think I actually saw it. I didn't. Uh... Oh shit. Well, I didn't know that. And I was like, I don't know how I'd feel about that, but guess that's cool yeah i uh, i wouldn't be surprised thrilled. or yeah well i wouldn't oh. be i currently with the voice that i have someone would have to sing for me <laughs> <laughs> uh the fact that um three days grace was like such a heavily featured thing in that uh, yeah and i think that's why i really liked that movie and i mean that was the Hillary Duff when she was dating um, Joel Madden. So I was like anti Hillary Duff, but I loved that movie. Oh my gosh, that was when she was dating him. Yeah, which is it's, extremely oh, right. problematic. Like I don't, I thought it was weird then, but it's definitely like yeah. Now, now it's like okay, that was extremely inappropriate. Why and wasn't we just that a let concern? that happen? Yeah true that is very true it happened a lot um yeah anyway i um i planned on covering some of that that's interesting you brought that up um it's gonna be like um an episode where i just talk about how some celebrities actions like flew under the radar but it's super creepy Ooh, if you think about that's it. a good that's gonna be a good one yay i had to sneak in my little talents for pop culture in some way um <laughs> yeah you've but, done um, a great job <laughs> Oh, yee, thank you. I have to keep the, the people educated mm-hmm. on important <laughs> important things. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so there are still studies being done about this brain because this is a common thing where somebody switches personalities yeah. all of a sudden after um, having some kind of accident. It just it's bad, and it's 
I feel like people mostly notice in, or I guess it's most prevalent in like football yeah. injuries. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of like super violent um, incidents that happen by football players or by athletes. And it might have to do with how often they get knocked around in the skull. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. can't be healthy. Um, and uh, a lot of parents wrestlers. will allow. And wrestlers, that's a, uh, with the neck. There's a lot of neck injuries that could also really really damage you yeah i mean with how wrestlers like um have to land and stuff like sometimes it doesn't always go perfect but they just don't notice mm-hmm. it's just like subtle injuries and then it's slowly eating away at their fucking just spinal cords that kind of freaks me out jeremy used to fall like on his fucking head all the time whenever he was drunk stop it don't scare me be checking in um, oh my! Yeah, I guess that's why it's good to know what's going on, with your, or at least document. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> just remember, you're gonna do an episode of me of my fucking true crime story. You better knock it off. <laughs> um, Guest star it, but Megan May. There you go. She'd have to fill oh, in. I can't our believe new how host. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking it all the way, aren't you? We're fucking sixty mm. years old. Oh, well, you would be in your 50s, but (laughs) still doing the podcast. Close enough. Exactly. Ah, what'd you say? (laughs) Uh, By then, we'll be hosting the podcast from the metaverse or whatever the fuck Oh, shit. Looking like fucking snacks. Yep. And our live audience, VR. No, I don't know. I'm just making up a bunch of things. Um. Uh, so yeah, very disturbing case, but now we know what happened to him in case anybody was ever wondering, like, whatever happened to that one actor, that's what happened. It sucks. It's very sad, but, um, still interesting, still very interesting. And I hope it remains part of their like medical studies to like figure this shit out so that I can get, but a lot of it has to do with the person not get not wanting to get these MRIs done because how are we going to know what's going on? Um, Anyway, so that was the story of Johnny Lewis, and I think Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball. Um, he's a big writer, so people probably can recognize his work too. And I believe he just had another one of his kids pass away, so he's not having. Oh. Yeah, he's not having a great time. That's pretty sad. I think um, a daughter from one of his other marriages has passed away in a car accident, so he's really going through it. Um, and then his wife passed away when she was sixty. So, um, very sad stuff. Yeah, he's he's kind of lonely these days. Um, but very weird. And um, I wonder if he feels stigmatized by his Scientology group for having um, pushed for, and even coming out in the press saying he pushed for medical and psychiatric help for his son and nothing was ever done because of his son, but still um, interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that. And... Um, mm-mm. I can't with the cat. The cat part just fucks me up. Yeah, that was uncalled for. Like, was the cat there? Did the cat see what happened? Did he kill the cat first? I, I hate thinking about it, but because I don't know the details, like, I want to know them. I just, I would hate to have had the cat see every all of that happen. <laughs> Anyways. Um... If you, or what the fuck, um, 
I Googled the dad and there's mm-hmm. a headline that says Scientology to the rescue. After losing son and wife, Johnny Lewis, da- Johnny Lewis's dad is happier than ever. Yeah, that was in 2020, but Jesus Christ, that's terrible. He also, um, oh, I think he gets money. I forget how Scientology works. We haven't covered very many, like, or any at all, like, Scientologists, so I don't really know how the religion works, but you have to be rich, pretty much, and I don't know if they pay you because you're doing a service to them, for them, or if, but I saw a picture of him holding these checks, and it was, like, having to do with Scientology. Um. Who knows? But he's he's still active in the in the in the religion and makes a lot of money in it and puts a lot of money into it, I guess. But I guess that's where his happiness is now. Interesting. But so that was that. And we thank you for joining us this week on Gimme the Creeps. Don't forget to submit your stories next month around this time. We will be reading what we have, even if it's a handful. So don't forget to leave us a Spotify review for our podcast and an Apple review for our podcast. We would love to see those and we really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. See you next week. So did we give you the creeps?